Welcome to the 3D Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman, uh, regular guest host Justin Lewis. will be back with us later this week uh, for some draft recap. But just as we did last week, really trying to expand out for some special guests. And I cannot be more excited to welcome in the voice of the Murray State Racers, the play-by-play voice, Mr. Neil Bradley. How are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great. Fantastic. And hope you're doing well, too. Thank you very much, Mr. Bradley. Uh, Mr. Bradley is someone that I uh, had had focused on seeking out uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, This week with draft week coming up, obviously a job of rats uh, being the Grizzlies' uh, supposed likely pick uh, with the number two overall uh, pick in this year's draft. And uh, who better to talk about him than the guy who called his games over the past two years? Uh, Mr. Bradley uh, has been the Murray State Racers uh, play-by-play announcer for nearly three decades. I remember him, a few of his calls, For me, not so good calls when I was at UT Martin uh, back in the uh, mid-2000s, but also a a recent Hall of Famer at Murray State. So congratulations on three decades and all the accolades you've recently received, Mr. Bradley. Well, I appreciate it. It's it's been a a lot of fun, and hopefully there's still more to come. Hope so, hope so. Well, obviously the subject at hand, uh, uh, Neil, is is talking about John Morant. And and I really want to get your, you know, I really want to get your take on him both on the court and, and off the court. And I want to start out when he came to Murray State. Um, obviously, Murray State over the past decade has had a lot of success. Um, you know, uh, unprecedented success for for an OVC team and also some that they've sustained. But when Jaw came on campus, did you get the feeling this guy was different? Did you foresee this overall impact and him reaching this level of potential? Not at all. Uh, in fact, when I saw him, I just saw a skinny kid who uh, is about the average size that we have. Uh, when we recruit guards who come to Murray State, he's uh, just about what we get. Looked like he could use a few pounds. Uh, I didn't see anything special about him when I saw him personally. But James Kane, who was our assistant coach, the guy you know with the Doritos story that I'm sure you've read about, who uh, I saw him in a back gym in an event, uh, he, he tells us, hey, this kid's a pro. He's going to be a pro. And I've, I've learned to respect James' opinion uh, because he you know, pretty much said the same thing about Cam, uh, Cameron Payne. I said, is, is he ready? He said, uh, yeah, he's going to be. Uh, but with Ja, he, he basically said, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a two-year guy. And, uh, but, again, I, I didn't see it. And then even in, in his freshman year, you could see flashes of brilliance, but uh, he really took a step forward in into his second season. But, uh, you know, something that, that Ja has, he's got an amazing court presence uh, and is one of those players that really makes his teammates better. And uh, we saw that as a freshman. And he's not a guy that feels like uh, I have to shoulder the load and I want to be the center of attention. But uh, if uh, a shot needs to be made or a play needs to be made, he's not shy about making it but he's more than happy to dish out 12, 14 assists and uh, get everybody else the ball if he needs to. But uh, to answer your question, no idea when I first saw him, even his first few practices, what we were in for from John Moran. And so you've been around the game for 30 years. You've seen basketball on different levels. And and you say you haven't really seen someone who has, has had this, you know, as big of a rise as John Morant. You know, in general, this this past year, you know, if you talk with a few of the guys who are out there who are known to cover the draft, they're amazed with how quickly John Morant has gone from late first round to top of the second round. 
not even in ter- or top of the first round, not even in terms of Murray State, but can you remember a guy who has seen this big of a rise in just one basketball season? Well, not to this level, I I certainly can't. Uh, You know, we got maybe a little hint of that last year when he went to uh, the Chris Paul camp. All we heard was good things about him, not just from Chris Paul, but from others who watched him. Said, uh, man, this kid is something else. He's going to be uh, a pro. Uh, Even then, though, I thought, well, we'll probably have him at least a couple of more years. And uh, then he just sort of transformed uh, during the fall, he did add some strength, uh, got in the weight room, put on a few pounds, a little different than the kid that we saw the year before. But uh, just the skill set that uh, that he's able to possess in terms of uh, scanning the court, breaking down defenses, making the right decision, it's, uh, it's just tremendous. And the, the year before, I guess we really didn't see it as much because his job, he had an outside guy in Jonathan Stark, and he had an inside guy in Terrell Miller. And he would uh, penetrate, pitch to start, dump it to Miller, and that's uh, essentially the way the racers got most of the damage done. He really wasn't called on to be a huge part of the offense. But when he needed to be, he would have a, an occasional 12- or 14-point game. But uh, it was uh, he just wasn't the focus of the offense. He seemed to be okay with that. The next year, he was the focus of the offense, and he seemed to be okay with that too. So it seems like you you feel one of the biggest strengths of his is that he can adapt his style of play uh, based off what the situation calls for. And again, going back to your 30 years of experience, not just a guy who has had his meteoric rise as Jaws had, but in terms of who he was towards the end of the year as a player, could you tell that there was a difference between this guy and others that you've seen? Was Jaw playing at the level that you have rarely, rarely seen based off all the talent that you've seen over the past 30 years? Was he one of the truly best basketball players you've ever seen in your career? I think uh, I would have to rate him the best that I have seen in my career at Murray State as a, as a college player. So that's during that entire span and a little bit behind that as a fan. Of course, before that, there were many players that I, that I didn't see all the time. And I, and I know that that's a conversation that a lot of people might argue. And, and I understand, you know, you get Popeye Jones, you get Marcus Brown, uh, Isaac Spencer, and on and on, just a, just a ton of players who've had tremendous impacts. But the thing I'm talking about is across the board from his ability to score, to make big plays, to break down defenses, make the great decisions. Uh, and the thing that I've never seen from a point guard is a kid that can rebound like him. And the thing is, for him, uh, in the past, usually when you tell your point guard to rebound, it slows everything else down. Like, all right, now everybody has to get back. You're going to waste 10 seconds. For him, all that does is fuel the offense because when Jai goes to rebound, the other players know he has it. They flood the court. More often than not, it leads to a fast break dunk on the other end. And uh, that, that to me is one of the biggest strengths I've ever seen from a, a point guard who can rebound like him. Something I really never envisioned would be a strength for a point guard would be rebounding, but uh, he adds that element to it, and all it does is further fuel what he's able to do offensively. 
So the the fact that John Morant has, has again had the rise that he's had, it's not unprecedented. You know, you referenced him earlier, Cameron Payne, someone that Memphians will know as he came from Alazan here in Memphis. Um, obviously, he was the 14th pick of the Oklahoma City Thunder back in 2015, and in his career, he didn't go to the best of places for him to develop. It seemed, but his career so far probably could be categorized as a, as a disappointment. Not necessarily the same type of player as Jaw, but just overall, is there something about Jaw's game that makes you not concerned that he could run into the same, you know, potential stall early in his career like Cameron Payne did? What may set Jaw apart from Cameron Payne as he goes into the NBA? Well, Cameron, and I still think he has a lot of talent. He may end up landing somewhere where he can succeed. Uh, was was a better, at least during his Murray State career, was a better three-point shooter, shot about as well as Ja, uh, was a really good passer. But I, I think Ja's ability to break down defense, uh, if, if if campaign is a B, uh, you got, got an A to an A-plus from Ja Morant. Also, Cam... Uh, didn't use the offensive rebound as part of his skill set in terms of uh, as much as Ja does. And then Ja's ability to get a, the pass off as quickly as he does where a defender can't recover with the one-hand pass. I mean, I, I know you're taught, God, you don't pass with one hand. Come on, man, don't, you can't do that. You're not going to be accurate. It's not good, but, but he does it. And uh, it's, it's his ability to cram a ball inside, thread a needle when, when no one else can that uh, that I, I think puts him above what, what Cam was able to do. And Cam was terrific for Murray State. He certainly was, and hopefully he'll land at a place somewhere down the road. But, I, I you know, Ja, he's, he's going to, like anyone else, I'm sure there will be a struggle. My goodness, you know, it's an 82-game season. Wherever he goes, there will be spots where uh, uh, he may, you know, hit a spot where he doesn't shoot as well. But I think the consistency with Ja will be what he's able to do in terms of producing for the offense and assists, and even he knows he has to cut back on his turnovers somewhat. Uh, that's the thing I always loved about John when we would have him on a post-game show. When he had grabbed the score sheet, the first thing he had to do was look at the turnovers. And, and he, he had a couple of games that were really bad in, in uh, the turnover department, and he would go, man, that's unacceptable. That's just not acceptable uh, to have you know eight turnovers or nine or anything like that. And uh, i got to be better than that. So he was his own worst critic. He wouldn't look at the points. He was just as happy to have the the assists. Uh, so could there be anything like Cam's experience? I don't foresee that happening. Josh seems to be an elite level player that uh, of which the like I've never seen at Murray State. And so everybody highlights the strengths of Jaw, the explosiveness, the passing, the ability to get to the rim. I want to kind of get your take on, you know, a few of the weaknesses, you know, get get from your point of view what you saw. And we'll start with the turnovers. Now, from seeing the highlights of Jaw that I've seen, I saw a couple of things. I saw someone who probably was a bit of a risk taker at times. But do you also feel that, you know, not in any way, shape, or form trying to, um, you know, Murray State's overall – lower level of talent than, you know, other teams that are in the NCAA. Do you feel that sometimes the turnovers may have just simply been a result of the skill level that Ja was playing with, that when he's at the NBA level will actually be good plays that could be assists instead of turnovers? Do you think that played a part in his high turnover numbers? Well, I know it did uh, on some occasions because we, we did have one big guy inside, uh, and Breon Sanchez, Breon, great kid, 
rebounded, defended, set great screens. But a lot of times, Ja would try to pop a pass that in the NBA is going to get caught. And for Breon, it was a really tough pass to handle. He would lose it. Uh, And for Ja, I mean, here's what he has to know. Uh, And this is on Ja. That's not a a pass that Breon can catch. So I'm not not blaming Breon. Yeah, it was a turnover. Maybe he lost it out of bounds or couldn't catch it. Somebody else got it. Ja has to know, I can't throw it. In the NBA, those guys aren't there. If you can't catch a ball inside and score in the NBA, you're in the CBA. You're in Europe. You're someplace else. Those guys catch them. Those will turn into assists and dunks. But, I, you know, I'm not going to be forgiving of all the turnovers. He was a risk taker, and yes, he had some high turnover totals, totals. But, I mean, he handled the ball all the time. He pushed, you know, 35-plus minutes a game, and uh, he, he was okay to take a risk. It was a risk versus reward, and I know Coach McMahon, he, we would ne- he would never say anything hardly about the turnover. He's called, hey, he handles it so much. He's going to make so many great plays. There will be a few here or there. But uh, I think he will need to cut back on that. I think some of that will be cut back simply by the fact that he's playing with better talent overall, like you mentioned, across the board. There's not going to be guys that will uh, drop the ball or maybe have poor hands once you hit the, the next level. Uh, so I think by, just by that, it's going to cut back a bit. And also, he's not going to have to take the risks in the NBA. I don't believe that he has to take at times at Murray State to, uh, to make those plays. Obviously, Jaw has worked hard at his game to improve to the level that he has. A couple of other, uh, you know, things where people, you know, people that are more in the know than I am have stated about his game that could be improved is, is his shooting and his defense. And I don't think anyone doubts that Jaw has the skills to improve. I don't pe- think people are questioning really his effort either. My question to you is, and seeing how much he transformed from his freshman to his sophomore year, do you think that there definitely will be significant improvement in those two areas to where Jaw could realize his true potential as a potential all-star level player in the NBA? Well, yeah, he uh, shot better his sophomore year than he did his freshman year. So he did work hard on it and improve. Uh, so that was no surprise. And I think there'll be even more improvement. Uh, we had a, a sports writer for us who pointed out that he looked up Russell Westbrook's stats I guess after his sophomore year, and Josh shot better than Westbrook. Not making a comparison that he'll be that guy, but it just shows the level. You see what Westbrook can do now. So the level of the potential to improve is certainly there. And the thing that Josh has is a relentless work effort, uh, work ethic to get better, instilled by his dad. Uh, T has done a great job working with him from just as a youngster. And uh, Josh is always focused to get better to make his team better, I, I, I can't really see uh, him not improving significantly. Now, will he be an elite shooter? I don't know. I'm not sure he really has to be. He has to be a guy that you're not going to be able to just uh, back off of. He has to be at least that good. But the thing that Jock can do is get his own shot, and he's so good at drawing defenders and then dumping it off for the easy shot inside, and he's just as happy to get an assist as he is to score. Uh, you can take a look at the, uh, the triple-double he had in the NCAA tournament he, uh, I think he took nine shots in the tournament, got a triple-double. Uh, just uh, just amazing what he's able to do in, in terms of generating offense, even though he may not be the main scorer on the floor at the moment. And so kind of want to um, change direction here because we, we all have seen, we all have, you know, are intrigued. We want to learn as much as we can about Jaw 
on the court, but I think you have an interesting perspective of well of him off the court. And I first want to start off with, you know, you mentioned the the Russell Westbrook comparisons, John Wall, De'Aaron Fox, you know, going from a guy who may be a late first rounder to he's now ranked between one of the most heralded high school prospects and Zion Williamson in, in draft history and one of the best international, most decorated international prospects at R.J. Barrett. How has his demeanor changed off the court, or is he still the same guy that's always been there? That's the crazy part with him. From the moment he stepped on campus to right now, I can't tell any difference in him. I mean, he carries himself the same way, works just as hard, still is friendly with the kids, still does as much. The only thing that was different this year, uh, and I've never seen anything like this, was the crush and I don't mean just at our arena, but I mean at visiting arenas, Tennessee Tech, uh, some other places where, I mean, we had people hanging out at the hotel trying to get him to sign stuff. And finally they had to just, we had a Murray State police officer that would travel with us to try to keep that stuff away and distractions. Now, John was still good. He would take photos. He was early in the season signing autographs for folks. Then he saw those going out on eBay and people trying to sell them and make big money. So he just tried to limit that after that point. Hey, he'll take a picture with you, and uh, people were were pretty happy to do that. That's something that uh, isn't going to be uh, something you're usually going to see uh, someone trying to make uh, money off of. But he's he uh, has uh, has had a family, I think, that has raised him just tremendously. Uh, he's a really humble person, and uh, it's pretty much with uh, you know, kind of like they've told you, it's it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. Uh, and Ja is just so kind. Uh, all the uh, the ESPN folks, and we had a CBS crew that traveled with us in the NCAA tournament that worked with the team. They did some uh, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff and just talked about what a tremendous pleasure it was to work with him. There's no ego. Anything he could do to help him, he was happy to do that. And uh, that, that's really been tremendous to me is how he represented himself at all times for Murray State. And uh, sometimes you're, you know, you're with the team. I mean, I travel with them on the bus, too. And you may get a little jealousy here or there. Hey, this guy's getting all the attention. And if if anything else, it just made him closer. We would see highlights on the bus of our games. You know, they'd have it on ESPN coming back. And the guys would – they would have a lot of fun with Jai. He just would shake his head and like, hey, man, you should have got it to me for the dunk and things like that. But they, they just had the biggest time about it. And uh, it didn't seem to affect him in any way whatsoever. So uh, no changes so far. Can't speak for down the road, but I would be shocked if he's uh, if he's a lot different in terms of uh, just being a really nice young man that somebody's going to really be proud to have uh, as a, their player. You know, I, I I won't not not in terms of their skill sets, but I think in terms of their demeanors, you could draw a lot of comparisons between Jaw and also the Portland Trailblazers two guards, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, two guys from small schools who themselves they're they're not really uh, they're not troublemakers, but they are just quietly confident in themselves, and they don't really care about public opinion. They've embraced their situation, and they've made the most of it, and their confidence is one of the reasons why they've developed in two of the best backcourt players in the NBA. Jaw seems to seem to have that quiet confidence about himself that, you know, it's great if he's getting accolades or it's great if he's unrecognized. It doesn't matter. Do you think that that confidence level in himself is something that should make whoever picks him confident that he will be able to maximize his true potential? Yeah, I think so. And I'm not sure he 
had that before he came to Murray State, the confidence part of it, because, uh, you know, as, as you may have heard in some of his interviews, you know, he had, uh, you know, he goes to these these camps and uh, expects to maybe get a lot of offers. They didn't come. And he's, you know, he started to doubt himself, talked with his dad. Is there something else I need to do? What am I doing? How come I'm, I'm not getting, uh, uh, you know, a lot of offers? And, uh, you know, his dad just say, just stick to it. You're doing fine. And, uh, you know, he continued to work at it. But, you know, his confidence really grew once he got to Murray State. Uh, and Matt essentially uh, handed him the keys and said, uh, here you go, you know, point guard-wise, to hand it to a freshman. That's something uh, that usually at a mid-major level you're not going to see because there's usually rarely anyone prepared to, to take over the team uh, as a freshman at that point. But, but he was, uh, and I think the confidence that the coaches and players had in him helped him develop, and he's a really confident player. Uh, you really think he also, and this is something I really saw this year, didn't really see last year, that he could take it to another level when need be, but he has shown that ability. We're Tennessee Tech this year. I didn't really have a good game uh, overall. The team struggling a little bit, uh, but uh, I think they were down with about 250 to go, and you get the Tennessee Tech fans doing the overrated chant for Ja. And that wasn't a good idea. He uh, basically took over the game at that point from scoring to making terrific passes. And I think they scored two points the rest of the way. The racers ended up winning by seven, eight points. Uh, even on, it was a night, you know, every, every school has them. You're going to play 30, 35 games. There's going to be two or three that, uh, that aren't the best at times for 40 minutes, but you got to find a way to win. And the racers certainly uh, did that. And uh, Cha is just one of those. He is uh, really triggered and pushed by uh, someone, especially if you express doubt in him for some reason, that really uh, makes him even better and more focused. So uh, uh, I, I think that's something that, and, and in the NBA, I mean, he's going to go to cities. They're going to, they're going to cat call him here or there. Uh, that's, that's part of playing in the pros. You're making big money. You're going to have a little bit of that, but I think you'll respond very positively to that. Uh, sort of like the players that you mentioned. And again, we're talking with Mr. Neil Bradley, who's been kind enough to join us. Neil, as we're wrapping up, just a few more questions. Uh, really want to now focus on, on the potential matchup between um, uh, John Morant and, and the Grizzlies. It seems like uh, that that is uh, a very likely thing to happen. Um, the question I, probably the question I've been most wanting to ask is this Memphis. Grizzlies fans, and when we had the core four here during the grit and grind era, the thing that made it even more special, even though we didn't win a championship, it still was one of the best atmospheres in the NBA, was the connection between the players and the fans. We've been blessed to have players like Mike Conley and Mark Gasol, who have been so kind to the public and so accessible. Do you feel that that off the court, that Jaw is that type of player? Just, just take us inside his mentality. Do you feel he is the type of player that could embrace Memphis, and that just makes his presence here even better, that, that he is the type of person who really could connect with the community and be more than just a sports star. He could be part of the city that he's playing in. Well, yeah. I mean, even last year here, before his superstardom season of the sophomore season, he was you know basically rock star status here, and it just grew this year. But uh, the fans have adored Ja because of how kind he is, uh, very good personality, works well with the kids, and uh, always out in the community. You know, he's not a guy that stays in his room. He uh, he embraces uh, getting out 
Uh, we had the like the regional basketball tournaments here for the boys uh, at Murray State's campus. Jock could have been back in a dorm room, could have been uh, wherever wherever he's going to be. He's there watching the ball games. Uh, you know, a lot of kids would come up getting autographs from him, things like that. He was accommodating to them. Uh, so he was uh, that kind of person out in the community, uh, didn't have to be there and, and loved being there. I think Memphis or wherever he goes will be terrific. But I think Memphis is a great fit for him if that happens, because it's a uh, you know, it's not the New York. It's not uh, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, although I think he would flourish there. I think he really flourishes in a uh, in a in a in a market maybe Memphis's size. He did really well at Murray State, and uh, I think he'll uh, just do a tremendous job there with the Grizzlies. Uh, in terms of the off the court stuff, on the court I think he'll be fine, but the off the court uh, I think he'll be great in the community. Uh, he seems to have a sense of uh, loving to work with kids and youngsters, and I think. It, that's going to really work well with him uh, wherever he end, ends up landing. But uh, if Memphis is the place, they will be, uh, I think, enriched beyond measure if they do choose Ja. And the other thing I'll say is this, is that Ja does, you know, with NBA players, you know, a lot of them, especially the successful ones, and rightfully so, they're about building their brand. And Ja seems like the type of guy who his story, his demeanor, his style of play – could be a a brand that he should build, but with Memphis and the fans and the and you know being a small market, we've never been really good at being able to attract talent that stays here long term. I think you kind of hinted at it, but it seems like that Jaw fitting in Memphis, it would be something that you know could turn into a Mike Conley type situation where Jaw truly is prideful that he's in Memphis and would be able to commit you know throughout his career to wanting to stay with the Grizzlies. Do you think that's a likely possibility if he came here? Yeah, I think so. And the thing that his dad kind of instilled to him when uh, Ja, I think South Carolina came on with a late offer after Murray State had offered, but but his dad said, look, go where you're wanted. And by Memphis, if they select him with that second pick, that's going to be Ja's cue. Hey, this is where I'm wanted. They wanted me. They could have picked anybody except probably Zion Williamson because he's likely going first. Could have picked anybody. They chose me. I think there will be a loyalty factor there. Now, not to say that if he has a great career somewhere down the road, you know, every player professionally, you get to the point at an age where you might have that one huge contract that you're going to have to take advantage of, and that becomes a very difficult decision. So, uh, But that's a way down the road kind of thing for him. But uh, a lot of players do have to deal with that. Uh, I do believe Ja might might be that guy, though, that uh, – stays around, builds the future, and hopefully, uh, because it's close, uh, I like uh, the, the fact that, that, that it's a possibility that he might be at Memphis. Uh, I'd love to be down there, uh, get a season ticket package, get as many games as I can in. Uh, there'll be a lot of racer fans, I know, that head down that way. So, uh, uh, and, and man, what a wild time it is to be in Memphis with all they got going on, both college and pro. Uh, I think it's getting ready to be maybe one of the golden times for uh, basketball in Memphis coming up if uh, they pick John Moran. Well, and then the final question is kind of a two-parter here for you, Mr. Bradley. I I first want to ask, of all the plays and and all over the past two years, all that you've covered him, 
what is the one play that is the most memorable that Jaw has had? And you cannot include the highlight dunk at my alma mater at UT Martin. Everybody knows that one. No, I'll joking aside, what is the one play, the one highlight that you feel was just Jaw at his best that separated him that's most memorable for you? Uh, probably as far as the the play that he made, and, and I, I'm trying to struggle to, to think who this was against, but uh, he has a, uh, I think, a behind-the-back pass to Shaq Buchanan on a fast break. Buchanan stole it, got it to Ja, and it looks like Ja's going to go stuff it, fires it behind the back to him while drawing the defender, and that leads to a, just a thunder dunk for Buchanan, and then Ja comes out strumming his guitar like, how about that? You know, he did. He he had the assist, but uh, Buchanan made the play. I, to me, that's the most memorable. Uh, besides the 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 Quentin Dub, I, but but something on that one, I wanted to. Yeah, I know you don't want that one at the top, and I'll be honest. When I saw that from courtside, the Dub on dunk, uh, the dunk on Dub, excuse me. Uh, I, my call on that, if you will hear it wasn't all that crazy. Just, uh, okay, Tomahawk jammed it. We go to a break, and I told Kenny Ross, did he jump over the guy? Because he couldn't have jumped over the guy. That's why I didn't say that, because he couldn't have jumped over him. He goes, I don't know if he did or not. So we didn't say anything about it. Then they showed it on the replay. It's like, oh, my gosh. He actually did basically jump over him. Uh, but there's just sometimes, sometimes you see things and go, that couldn't have happened. He had several of those. But I think I like his assist as much as anything. Uh, also at Alabama, I, I, I want to put a number two in there for the uh, roll down the lane toward the end of the game. Game was decided. So it was kind of cool for Alabama fans <laughs> to get on their feet and cheer. But he thunders down the lane and stuffs it. And I hear fans behind us cheering. I thought, man, we got a bunch of Racer fans. I look back, it was Alabama fans on their feet that were that was just cheering. So uh, they enjoyed his performance, especially once they had the game uh, well in hand. But he certainly brought us a lot of thrills. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like him, but I've said this a lot at Murray State. First time they won 30 games in 2010, they will probably never see anything like it. Two years later, they win 30. Uh, campaign, he's a first-round draft pick. said we'll never see anything like it again, and here we go. So uh, you never know in basketball. That's what makes athletics fun. You never know when the next big thing is going to come along. Uh, we may never see anything like him again at Murray State, and who knows, we may have another one next season. And then the final part of this last question is this, is that, uh, Mr. Bradley, if you had the chance, and I'm sure you probably will at some point, but if you had the chance, you know, Jaw is the number two pick. You know, he is coming to Memphis. If you had the chance right now to just, you know, just express to him, you know, your thoughts about, you know, him leaving Murray State and go to the NBA, what do you think you would say to him? Well, uh, I'm just thrilled to death that he has this opportunity because he's worked hard for it, he's earned it. Uh, carried himself the right way at Murray State, and uh, he's been nothing but a tremendous ambassador, not just for our basketball program, but for the university in terms of publicity. Uh, it's uh, really paid off in a number of ways, and I want to wish Ja, wherever he happens to land, although I, in my heart, I certainly hope it's Memphis, uh, but I want to wish him the best. He has uh, certainly earned everything, every accolade that comes his way, and I know he'll be tremendous for many, many years to come and have a great career. Maybe one of the best that we've ever had. Uh, maybe Joe Folks in the NBA might be the only other one that uh, might match him. 
the only Hall of Famer that we have in the NBA. But uh, uh, who knows? John might be that next one. Well, if he comes to the Grizzlies, we certainly hope that is the case. Mr. Bradley, before we wrap up, I certainly want to give you the opportunity uh, to plug all that you do. I know that you yourself also have a radio career next to your play-by-play career. Where can people find you, and and how can they get access uh, to your material up in Western Kentucky? Well, I work at WNBS is the station I I work at, and it is a uh, sports station. I do have a a podcast there that you can access, 1340wnbs.com. And uh, then our games, of course, are on Froggy 103.7, but uh, that's uh, really my only connection to Froggy other than working for the same company is uh, the basketball game. So uh, fans wanting anything else, and if you ever have any questions, uh, my email is there on the website. And always happy to talk basketball, uh, especially when it's about the racers. Well, uh, Mr. Bradley, if you'll hold on after we're done with the podcast just for a few moments, but I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I hope to at some point uh, be able to meet you down here uh, when you when you try to come to a couple of games uh, as Josh starts his career here. Thank you so much, Mr. Dale Bradley, for joining us here today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. That's been myself, Sean Coleman, and Mr. Dale Bradley, the play-by-play voice for the Murray State Racers and uh, avid fan of John Morant's over the past two years. We can't thank you all enough for joining us. We'll catch you next time here on the 3 and D Podcast.